Hi, I'm Rob, and this is another episode of Rewind and Review. As always, I'm joined by the man whose actions always echo into eternity, Jason. Yes, but are you not entertained? I am indeed. Now, welcome to Rewind Review, the retrospective podcast where we uh, we have a look at an existing property from the past, delve into its legacy, discuss how it's held up over time, and even give our own personal experiences. Did we watch it as a kid or sometime later in our lives? This episode of Rewind and Review, we'll look at a movie that is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year in 2020. A movie that could be considered not just a modern classic, but one of the greatest films of all time. Or is it? Yes. Uh, So sharpen your swords, put some dirt in your palms, and join us as we travel back to the year 2000. We have to go back! Go back, Stan! What year is it? Are you telling me you built a time machine? was May of the year 2000 and the world hadn't ended with the Y2K bug. (laughs) Tom Hanks was making friends with beach balls. Leo DiCaprio was spending time on a beach and Christian Bale was being a bit of a psycho. It was a big year for film, but perhaps the biggest one of them all showed the world how much they didn't realise they like the sword and sandals genre. And of course, that movie was Gladiator. Yes, directed by Ridley Scott, Gladiator tells the story of Roman general... Uh, General Maximus Decimus Meridius, played by Russell Crowe, um, as he is betrayed by the heir to the Roman Empire, Commodus, who's played by Yaquin Phoenix. That's the correct pronunciation, isn't it, Jace? Yeah, uh, it's sort of like Walken, but like Wacken. Wacken Phoenix. All right. Um, once Commodus, of course, uh, learns that his sick father, the Caesar, uh, Marcus Aurelius, who's played by Sir Richard Harris, intends on passing the empire on to Maximus instead of him. Following an attempted murder of himself and the successful murdering of his wife and son, Maximus is involuntarily taken as a slave by slave master and former gladiator Antonio Proximo and ultimately ends up in gladiator fighting pits for his own survival and the entertainment of the crowds. Here he meets and befriends fellow gladiator slaves. Juba, plays, played by... Uh, Dimon Hounzo and Hagen, played by Rolf Moller. Together, the slave fighters head to Rome to compete as part of Commodus's 100 Days of Games, an event that Commodus tries to use to win affection from the Roman people. That's right. Now, in Rome, Maximus is assisted by his military servant, Cicero, played by Tommy Flanagan, and the sister to the Caesar, Lucilla, played by Connie Nelson. Um, as Maximus reveals himself to both the public and to Commodus, inspiring the public and questioning their loyalty to the Caesar's rule. From there, Maximus is thrown into a political and public struggle to win over the people of Rome and establish the empire as a republic, as was the dying wish of the murdered Marcus Aurelius. There you go. It's a mouthful. That's good, man. Yeah. So, Gladiator, is this a movie you have seen before? I have seen it many times before. Many, many, many many times. Yeah. So, for me, I actually saw it in cinemas. Um, I think I was in year year eleven. I think I was so definitely oh, capable of going to the cinema by of... myself. Yeah. Oh, well done, mate. Yeah, always very proud of you. But um, I, I definitely uh, 
this was this was one of the ones that I added to my Blu-ray list pretty early on, and you know that kind of thing, and the DVD collection before that, and all of that. <laughs> big, big fan. I, I wasn't a big fan of Russell Crowe before this. I don't think the world really was, and. The only thing of the like Russell Crowe really I saw after this was I think Master and Commander. So I wasn't definitely not a, a Russell Crowe fan really, but just this kind of really caught my attention. I watched this for the first time. It may must have been it was a it was a few years after it had come out. I actually watched it in high school for some what do they call the subject like society and environment, social studies or something. I can't remember the context of why we were watching it. I think the teacher just liked the movie. So we watched it over a couple of days. Um, and that was well, some I mean, let's be it. fair. If, if you like the movie, you may as well just write off a whole Put period. Put it on for the kids. Kid. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, well, it was multiple periods. It was two or three classes at least. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was the first time I watched it. I remember enjoying it, but not being completely overthrown with it and being like, wow, this is amazing. Just appreciate it being like, no, it was pretty cool. Like, yeah, good right. flick. Uh, didn't have to do any schoolwork awesome um that's pretty much the only time i'd watched it the second time i got round to it was in preparation for this um and wow. i'll be honest i felt like i was watching it for the first time oh wow that's interesting did and you hopefully watch, did, did you watch the extended version out of curiosity um there's an extended version yes there is indeed Wow, okay, very good. Um, I watched whatever was on the DVD that I own, which, again, is uh, funny. I own the DVD, <laughs> never actually watched it. <laughs> there's, there's a particular scene I'll talk about later on, and if you know what I'm talking about, you'll know if you watch the extended one on. Oh, well, so. well, let's... There's that for a little tease. We'll find out, go. did I watch the extended one or not? We'll, we'll I don't know. It was, it was fairly long, though, the movie. Almost, I think it was over two <laughs> hours. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think it is anyway. I think it is anyway. <laughs> All right, let's get into the legacy of this bad boy. Um, so it cost $103 million to make, this movie did. And it made, uh, and that was the production budget. I don't know what the marketing budget was, but it made $460.5 million on the box office. Pretty impressive. Oh, yeah, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. That's all right, eh? I don't. It's I like all right. That. It's all right. It's um, all right. I have to admit, because I was a, almost an adult when this came out, I don't remember it being like a, such a substantial marketing campaign. You know, how there's some campaigns that you can just everything. It's just everywhere. You can't avoid seeing yeah. it. And you know, they're the ones that spend you know a couple of hundred million dollars on marketing and all that. I don't feel like this was. So I think this is a solid, solid you know profit I, made I by think- the. My memories of it was more, not so much the marketing, but like more when it had come out yeah. and people were just talking about it, mm-hmm. you know, like um, it was like the biggest thing and we will get to yes, um, we will, yeah. it, that it got. But I think, you know, that's what everyone was talking about and, it, you know, it won a particular mm. uh, Oscar and <laughs> it, it did indeed. pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that leads me to the critical rating. Um, yeah. I'm surprised it's sort of as low as it is. I thought it probably would have been higher, but I yeah. guess we have uh, over time more reviews come in, yeah. ages, people can have opinions change over time. So currently on Ron Tomatoes, it's sitting at uh, 76%. That's an average of 7.26 out of 10 over 194 reviews. Metacritic yep. has it. 67 out of 100, that's 46 reviews. Yeah. Basically, as a summary, a general kind of a consensus, really Scott and an excellent cast successfully convey the intensity of Roman gladiatorial combat as well as the political intrigue brewing beneath. So, and generally, I mean, yeah, that sounds so good. That sounds it's, good. It's, it's mixed to positives, you know. Um, but the man himself, Mr. Roger Ebert, well, 
Our he only, he's given it an average view and he, he goes, he gives yeah. it a two out of four and he calls it muddy, fuzzy and indistinct. So I don't know, that hurts me a little bit, but that's fine. You know, we, re- <laughs> we, we, we respect him. We respect him. Cuts him real deep like a gladiator sword. Absolutely. But, you know, you've got critics who are kind of giving it mixed to positive, but the awards, it was itself, it was actually nominated out of 36 different award ceremonies, it was nominated uh, with 119 different nominations and it actually won 48 different category wins throughout all of those different ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Out of that, well, uh, it was nominated for 12 Academy Awards and it won five of them. And that was Best Picture, Best Actor for Russell Crowe, um, Costume Design, Sound and Visual Effects. It was nominated for 13 BAFTAs and won three. I can't remember which ones they were. Um, it was also nominated for five Golden Globes and won two. Out of the BAFTAs, I mean, and, BAFTAs and Golden Globes, I think, I think the Golden Globes, one of them was a score, actually. So sure, I imagine there was probably like a, a best um, like best film or something in, in either one of them or both. Um, yeah, good uh, research. Um, but the best picture <laughs> for Oscars, I mean, that's that's a big deal. I mean, that's yeah. that's up there. I mean, that's, only that's only one movie wins it a year. Mm. I, I mean, you could probably that's... say the same for the Golden Globes and Bafta's yeah. too, mate. But yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yes, but, Indeed. but they don't mean uh, the British ones, maybe. But the Golden Globes don't mean <laughs> shit. Um, it's all about the Oscars, mate. It's all about, it's all about the Oscars. Um, Either way, what we're trying to say is it was a very successful movie when it comes to awards. yes, that's so. it. It's uh, it's kind of a big deal um so much there was there was talk of uh maybe a follow-up a sequel there was uh or maybe a prequel correct um a prequel was actually said to be in development in 2001 however it did change kind of morph into a sequel in 2002 um which was going to be 17 years after the first focus focusing on lucius so that's the kid that's in the this kid. movie i'm obviously grown up um yeah. searching for his father yeah uh, ridley scott was interested but acknowledged the film would need to be renamed as well i guess it was no longer going to be about gladiators and a little a little some production notes and i'm glad i didn't actually eventuate but production notes said that uh lucius's father was actually maximus um yeah so... there was something well it, it, it kind of there were a few different like scripts and ideas and stuff pitched that yeah. kind of went it went very different and I guess they were kind of diving into um, Greek mythology and stuff like that and other sort of spiritual uh, things of, of the time to yeah. sort of lean on um, mm. to sort of allow them to go in these wacky directions. But uh, Nick Cave wrote a script that featured Maximus being resurrected by the gods and Correct. saving the Romans again and then uh, appearing throughout history. Other major conflicts, yes. you know, sort of like World War Two and... Rocking up in Vietnam and stuff like it's just like bonkers stuff, bonkers, absolute bonkers, like bonkers, crazy sci-fi fantasy. Yeah, what are they smoking? Yeah, but didn't happen. So okay, the the script, yep, ultimately rejected because I guess yeah, it's just too nuts. Um, as of 2019, so just last year, the talks that was still pretty serious. Um, so I guess it's still on the cards that they could do a sequel, obviously Correct. now being set 25, 30 years after the first. Yeah. I mean, so depending on when they, they release it, that's yeah. if, it, if it eventuates. I kind of hope that they do, because I think they could really, um, especially if they got Ridley Scott to come back. I mean, not just take take um, Russell Crowe out of the picture, because that's not realistic. But I just really like the world and, you know, they, the world that they built and how gritty it was. I just I really enjoyed that. 
So, um, yeah, but I mean, and there were some, you know, some characters still standing who, you know, there, there's sort of more to their story that we didn't really get into. And, you know, Lucius being one of them and his mother and, you know, there's, there's a hint at a lot of backstory. Yeah. And we yeah. only get bits of information and we, it never really, you know, unfolds. So, yeah, they could explore a bit there. And I imagine that's where they would go. That would be the starting point, would be yeah. Lucius growing up. I think so. And what's he, what's he doing? What's he up to? Is he so. killing? <laughs> so uh, keep, keep an eye out for that, ladies and gentlemen. Now, we did touch on a, a little bit at the top there. Um, this movie had a pretty significant cultural impact um, with the zeitgeist uh, once it came out. Um, it saw, we, we, you know, we, we touched on it, that there was a bit of a resurgence in the the, uh, the swords and sandals elements, um, you know, of, of filmmaking and, and that kind of genre. Um, it actually saw, the movie saw a huge renewed interest in all things Roman history, and it was dubbed the gladiator effect and it wasn't just uh you know an impact on filmmaking but also just general pop culture and understanding of you know his historical significance of the time so historical books you know marcus aurelius's meditations and cicero who's a character even though it's it's a little bit different um his biography through the historian's eyes also both those books spiked dramatically you know just, just through people's interest in learning a little bit more about the time that it was all set. And just I feel, I feel like, even for like myself, like, and I don't know if it's just a coincidence, but it was probably around around this time, you know, like when this movie came out, where I was sort of being exposed to, uh, yeah, like Greek mythology, yeah. Roman Empire stuff, you know, like and, and that, those types of genres and things like that. And yeah. then, of course, there was just that spurt of those genre films yeah, that's that right. Realm. Yeah, so you got your historical, like, epic genre kind of thing. Movies like Troy, um, King Arthur, Alexander, 300, Kingdom of Heaven, Robin Hood. Some of those Ridley Scott and Russell Crowe kind of come back for. Um, Ridley Scott kind of participated with Kingdom of Heaven as well with Orlando Bloom, I think, if I remember. Alexander, I think, was mm-hmm. that? That was Colin Farrell, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, anyway, lots, lots of those. Yeah, here's the part where I tell you this genre isn't really my thing but uh <laughs> i have to admit like if you were, if you were yeah are you a big fan i actually am a big fan to be honest i didn't like right. troy because yeah. i don't like i don't like um brad pitt in that because he's really pouty but the rest of it like the king arthur movie with okay. um with um oh what's his name owen somebody who uh, anyway they're i mean they're all great movies all gritty historical you know epics i love them anyway so we might do a couple more of them without you wanting to <laughs> oh my what is it? Robin Hood's the uh, Russell Crowe one, isn't it? Is that really yeah, starting? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that one wasn't that flash, to be honest, but that's right. <laughs> still, still better than some of the others. What, there was a Taron Egerton one recently, and that was pretty terrible. But anyway. Oh, don't even go near that one. Don't even go near <laughs> that one. All right, mate. Let's get, let's get into Characters. this movie. Yeah, um, let's, let's do it. Let's just start with Russell Crowe straight up. Yeah. Um, Apart from Joaquin Phoenix, this is Russell Crowe's movie. He's on the poster. He's on the my DVD cover. He's there. <laughs> he is indeed. He Maximus. is Maximus. He is. That's right. Now it's interesting because he it was it was originally going to be Mel Gibson, but Mel Gibson turned it down because um, he thought he, he himself was too old for the role. Have to say, I'm kind of glad that happened because I really I think just Russell Crowe was made for that role. I think it's just fantastic. So sometimes you watch something and, and it's sort of like it's hard to picture someone else in the role. Yeah. I reckon Mel Gibson would have sort of made it his own kind of thing and we wouldn't have known it. Just would have been, it just would have been Greek Braveheart, though, you know? Like <laughs> that was only made That's like true. a couple of years beforehand. And I don't know, it just 
Yeah, it would have been some similarities, yeah. yeah. I guess that's why they were probably leaning towards Mel Gibson because they were like, hey, this is kind of his wheelhouse, like his kind of kind of film. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe no. they would have thought it would have been a safe bet or something. But Russell Crowe's bringing, he's bringing some good stuff. And, uh, I mean, I guess he's, at this time, relatively unknown. Um, you know, he'd done a few. I think he had done, he'd already done the uh, Beautiful Mind, I think was a few years before this. Like he had, he had done a few things. I think- Oh, I think that was just a little bit after this, but um, but it's within oh, like there was wrong. there was that moment with like three or four years of Russell Crowe, um, Beautiful Mind was one one of them, and a, and a few other things as well. But um, this uh, did you did you pick up his accent in this movie at all? Oh, like um, every now and then it was like, hey, you're Australian. <laughs> That's right. There's one. So is we, he even? He is Australian, right? Well, he's key, he's Kiwi, but um. Oh yeah, that that counts. We claim him. That's what we his, do. He's, he's lived a lot of his life in Australia, but there's one particular moment. You know, at that the line that he says where he goes like, "At my single unleash hell," he says yeah. "hell" with the most like dirty, gross Australian accent ever. It's like "unleash hell." <laughs> And I thought, so when I hear it, every time I hear it, I'm like, that is Australian. Oh, hey, you, you, were, you were trying to do an accent there, but it was like, mate, you already got it. You already got it. I can't, <laughs> but you, you can't get more just say, just say hell as you... Hell. As you know. hell. Just, I'm, That's I'm how just, he says it. You sound like Russell Crowe. Because well I'm just some dirty Australian. <laughs> so um, it, interestingly, Russell Crowe starred in four other Ridley Scott movies. Um a good year came up after, just after this. American Gangster with um, Denzel Washington came after this. Body of Lies and, and Robin Hood as well. Mm. So there's, he's, a co, he's a regular collaborator since this movie. This was the first one, though, um, with Ridley Scott. Um, right. And, and I, little, did just, I did just look up uh, Beautiful Mind, 2001, so the year after this. So you're right. Year after this. Jason, I'm uh, always right, right, mate. I'm always right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a nice little tidbit. Um, just last one before we move on from Maximus. Um, everybody would you would have noticed that Maximus has a, a a habit of rubbing soil into his hand before he fights, and that's it's meant to be a reference to his attachment to his former life as a farmer. So basically, he's a man of the dirt, man of the earth, and so that's his On way of grounding ground. himself before he goes into conflict. And that's for nice the most part, I thought it was. I just thought it was a a good like sort of like you know like when you. Just salting his hand so he can grip his sword better. I thought it was like a practical that's thing. That's what I thought. Yeah, like rock climbers put but chalk and stuff on their yeah. hands. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like it, it also so reminded his... me of um, reminded me of Saving Private Ryan. And Tom Hanks is always is always like a stick with his hand. He's always drinking. Or yeah, always, yeah. So that's just a bit of characterization to him and, and stuff like that. But speaking of his character, I mean, he's the hero of our story. He's, um, I mean, what I found interesting was that, like, I guess, like, uh, maybe it's the movies that follow this of this same sort of genre is that when you have your, your main protagonist, it's like they're beefed up, they're muscle bound, six pack or like 12 packs, I don't know, yeah. but just like insanely ridiculous but it's like russell crowe for the most part just seemed like an average sort of yeah. guy. you know not that he had like a big or anything but he just seemed like not unrealistically huge he just had yeah. some skills that seemed to put him at a at an advantage in yeah. the you know, in just, the ring and, and stuff like that it's a bloody good fighter mate just a bloody that's good it fighter. So, yeah, the whole backstory with him being a general. And I mean, mm. if you see the trailer that we posted on our Facebook page, it was, it literally pans out, like plots out the, the his journey. He was yeah. a general and then he becomes a slave and then a gladiator yep. and then a hero, like a savior of, of Rome. Of Rome, indeed. 
Oh, God, he's good, isn't he? Um, all right, let's talk about... Let's move on to uh, Commodus. So, Yaquin Phoenix or Jacqueline. <laughs> Joaquin. Jacqueline Hoakin. Who knows? Hoakin. Um, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix. So easy. So it's just because you guys reviewed Joker, so you've recently been saying his name, but I haven't gone near it for ages. That's definitely the only reason we did that. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's interesting. He uh, he ad-libbed, sort of interesting fact, he ad-libbed, there's a line um, where it says, um, am I not merciful? And he's kind of saying it to his sister, played by Connie Nielsen. And it's a bit of an extreme moment in the in the movie, and she wasn't expecting it. So you get like this real moment of fury from him and and fear from her, and it really just adds to their dynamic. Ultimately, he's he seems like a bit of a wimp and like a bit of an yeah. entitled. Like his character, like Commodus, is is a you can tell like he, he hasn't fought on the front line. He comes right at the end of the battle. He comes in. No, the he's first thing he says he's like, "Did I miss the battle?" And it's like, "Yeah, you missed the war, man." But so he's but you just know he was taking his time. He was yeah. he was taking his time. He, he purposely did not get there Correct. until the end. That's his that's his whole character. He comes from a, a place of entitlement and you know, mm. where he stands, he thinks that he deserves everything that he gets and he has. And, yeah. um, but at the same time, he's still aware that he needs to please people. Yeah. So yeah. as well as he's like, I deserve this position. He still needs to continue to, mm. to prove all of that. But there's plenty of times where like he does, he just chucks tantrums like a, like a, like a toddler, like a child. Well, I feel um, like and he... that's, it's great. It's, um, Viking Phoenix is playing a character and he, testament to him as an actor, like we've seen him in so many amazing roles, but oh, yeah. every time I see him playing someone, I'm like, I don't see an, I don't see Viking Phoenix as an actor. I don't know who Viking Phoenix is. Because every time I see him, he's someone else. It's true. You know, like he, he's incredible. I'm like, and here he's just on screen doing something, and he's playing a character that you just hate. Mm. You want to punch him in the face, but in that good way, where you just go, "Oh, he's a sniveling little bugger." Yeah, and he oh, deserves he's no it. Good. He deserves it. Yeah, the thing is, someone he, you you love to hate. Yeah, and it all comes and it comes down to his entitlement, like you're saying. Like from the start, you know that he has an expectation. He's going to become emperor because that's just how life goes. And then he doesn't get it, and he slowly gets more and more unhinged. And that little example about the ad-libbing that he did like that's towards the tail end of the movie and he's kind of lost he's got no trust in his own sister he's got no trust in anybody around him and he's kind of losing his mind a little bit and he knows that he has to play to the mob to get to keep them on side hence the whole reason for the 100 games or 100 days of games or whatever the heck it is um but he takes that last that last mistake is he thinks that it will rally up the uh, the crowd by going out there and defeating Maximus in front of them. It's the worst mistake ever. He's fighting a general. Well, that's a stupid bloody idea. But anyway. That's it. And he, well, you sound like, you know, like he, people, his advisors and stuff are saying, you know, why don't we just kill him? And it's like, yeah. no, if we kill him, he becomes a martyr. So like, he's not stupid. He's smart. He knows how to play the politics mm. and all he knows how to play the people he knows how to make those moves it's mm. just are they the right moves <laughs> well ultimately no because <laughs> he ends up dead because he does end up dead even though he stabs maximus first he still ends up dead and that's a brutal way to die yeah, too. Even, like, slow how bad is that throat. like even the final battle and it's like he can't even like play fairly he's got to wound his opponent first get yeah. him out there and then then put on a show it's it's yeah it's like 
like I said, character you love to hate and, yeah. you know, makes you squirm because he definitely has a weird thing for his sister. He does. He just definitely is in love with her. Um, he likes to really get close to her and touch her face. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, some interesting uh, trivia to go along with the character or, or, or um, Aquaman is Phoenix as well. Um, he was always going to be, he was always really Scott's first choice to play the role. Um, not surprised by that because he is such a dynamic, amazing actor. Um, also, he was incredibly nervous on set. And so um, Richard Harris, so Richard Harris and Russell Crowe kind of determined that they needed to get him drunk. And so they got him drunk and he relaxed, <laughs> which is just so interesting. Pissed, uh, in every scene, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> no, 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 no. Just a few extra pints of Guinness, apparently. So it's very interesting. Right. But I, I really, I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed um, his, yeah, his performance is incredible. Just and Russell Crowe's performance as well. So two wins so far. Next one, who we got next? Lucilla. Uh, Connie Nielsen. That's Connie what Nielsen, is. yeah. Now, um, it's interesting. Uh, Connie is actually a fan of um, Roman history and was very, very knowledgeable. And so during production, she was actually a consultant as well. Um, right, just so she, she was telling them what they were doing wrong. That Correct. ain't right, that ain't accurate. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's that's one little bit of trivia. There's a little bit of extra trivia that there's a 2000 year old signet ring that she wears in the movie and she found that in an antique store herself. Yeah, yeah. But her, her performance itself though, I she's a very strong female lead and she generally seems to be the kind of character that's putting up all the barriers and all the walls and the armor like she's resilient and strong because she's part of an environment where she has to just put up with so much crap and everybody's corrupt and she has to always have a protect her own back and by a look at things she has to protect her own bloody brother as well yeah for the most part that's what she's been pretty much set up to do like from her father obviously the the previous caesar before he was Mm. you know killed (laughs) by his son um but he you know he says he says to her you know you if you were born a male you know Mm. you would be caesar you have and you'd be, you'd be a good one too you'd be amazing yeah. yeah she has the same mindset as him you know like yeah. um pretty much what him as caesar wanted to pass on yeah. through her everything he'd set up she was going to be able to do it but because she was a, a woman um it was there's nothing going to be on the back burner, but hey, we can still use you. Yeah. You know, uh, Joaquin over there, he's got to be the face. He's got to be the Caesar, but you as the, as the woman, as the smart, as the, as the smart woman, as yeah. a sister, you can advise him and make sure he mm. does what we need. Yeah. But and it's before, like, and before uh, Marcus, in better times. That's right. And before Marcus Aurelius actually dies, he says, you know, you're going to have to protect your brother and support him because he's about to get given the bad news that he's not going to be the one for the throne. And then, of course... Right, yeah. And then because uh, Marcus's plan was to have um, old Maximus, uh, Maximus Russell Crowe. That's right. Which is... Probably the better choice. Even though, even though I really like that little dynamic there at the start of the movie because <laughs> you, can talk, That's you can talk... Look, we should talk, we should talk <laughs> yeah. Richard Harris. Let's talk Richard like, Harris. Like, whilst we're on him. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he hasn't got much in the movie, but the, the scenes that he's in, yeah. knocking it out of the park. And I it took it. me about five minutes to realise, hey, is that Dumbledore? Or it is indeed, yes. Dumbledore from the first two movies, I think. It's, it's not in the notes, but I just wanted to throw it out there that all I could think was Dumbledore, 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 Dumbledore. Um, but uh, interesting fact, Oid, that, that him and um, Russell Crowe became really good friends across that shoot, um, and that lasted well beyond the production as well. So, And I, I think Sir Richard Harris is... Um, portrayal was just it was perfect a lot like a loving father no not a loving father a well, a loving father towards maximus i guess if you want to look at it like that an absentee father for the others but he accepts that 
and there's that little moment with him and um, Lucilla where he's like, let's just pretend that I've actually been around and you actually like me. And then, and it's quite a lovely yeah. little moment. Yeah. It um, seems to be a mutual um, sort of acceptance of, of what their relationship is. And I yeah. think that kind of makes it okay. And respect. Two of them. Yeah, respect between them. And also yeah. that moment, like you see the way that um, Richard Harris's portrayal, like when he's giving um, uh, Commodus the bad news, you know, he's on his knees kind of pleading and you can see it's real pain seeing that his son's in pain. Yeah, I just thought it was a really great, really, really good portrayal. Quite a, love, quite a, quite a powerful um, character. And he gets killed. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Lucia's uh, Virus. Spencer Treat Clark. Now, this kid, this kid, I was looking at this kid for the longest time, staring at him. And You're I was like, like why do I kid? know who this, why yeah. do I know this kid? Yep. It's the kid from bloody. Um, it's the kid from Unbreakable. Correct. Um, and then also Glass. Correct. He, grow, he grows up yes. and plays him. Plays the same character. Yeah, I haven't uh, actually Bruce seen. Son. I haven't seen Glass. I need to see Glass. It was. Been, Mate, it was yeah, it's on the list. It's just, but I haven't got around to it. Do a marathon. But yeah, <laughs> but it's um. So that came out in two thousand as well, I think. So they're not. It was he, actually. Yeah. He's, he's a similar age. I don't know the proud of productions ran through, but yeah, yeah. Bruce Willis' son. That's the only real thing I've got to say about it. He's a he's a fine character. He's really there to act, to be kind of in danger. You know, there's a couple of moments where Commodus pulls him aside, and then his mum um, sees that they're kind of interacting. Yeah. And she immediately knows that Commodus is actually threatening her by being in his presence. So yeah, just fine. by yeah. just by you know speaking in his ear and hmm. and being like, oh look, we're bonding. I am sharing thoughts with him. Yeah, you know, it's like, and then she's watching. It's like, yep, there's something to be concerned about. He yeah. also plays a part, obviously, when you know Maximus has the opportunity to basically kill uh, Commodus yeah. you know, firsthand. Yeah. But you know, Lucy there's runs the kid out in front of him in yeah. his arms, and it's like, damn it, can't. Yeah. It's like Maximus has, you know, he's got moral, you know, he has yeah. got morals where he's like, I'm not going to kill this man in front of his nephew, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> in front of his kid. And yeah. obviously he's got, he's got that yeah, prior relationship with the mother and it's like, you know, obviously he knows who the kid is and yeah. I don't know, I think there's just, there's stuff stopping him there and kind of a, a bit more of a conflict thrown in, making yeah. it all personal. Yeah, oh, that just makes them a little bit more real, doesn't it? You know, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, the movie would have been done over like halfway through. Um, all right, well, let's uh, let's move on to talk about some of these gladiators quickly. Um, so, I guess let's talk about the big guy, the main the main guy who uh, who owns them. I guess you could call it. So, Antonius Proximo. So that's played by Oliver Reed. Now, little little uh, bit that you might have noticed if you saw the uh, the end credits. Uh, Oliver Reed actually passed away during the filming, which is really sad. And so there was, you know, there's a huge effort to to incorporate his role. It's actually kind of interesting because the there's a produ- um, production contract in place somewhere where they actually had the ability to recast it if I think it was up to like sixty percent of the, the the role hadn't been filmed. And apparently that oh, was okay. the case, but they still chose to actually do a digital stand-in and chop and change it instead so interesting wow you know what? i didn't notice anything of the i didn't suspect anything there's only one element that stands out really really clearly to me the rest of it is completely seamless as far as i'm concerned but um oh, there's, there's an element where just before he gets stabbed in the back oliver e like um proximate proximo does you know he's in his little his air his little compounds being raided and everything and yeah stab like, him from behind and that's because there's a stand-in actor who's facing the wall but 
when it cuts to his face, says there's a, the line, I can't even remember it from the top of my, on top of my head, it's something along the lines of dust and ashes or something like that, or blood and dust or something. But that's a previously filmed scene. It's a different take. And you can see that the right. background switches a little bit and he's got a little bit of green screen around him. But um, other than that, right. I, okay. other than that, I couldn't really see a whole lot. But apparently it's like 60% of the role had only been filmed. So there's a whole bunch that wasn't, wasn't included in it. Um, oh, okay, so he's Oliver, a fine character, though. He's a fine character. Um, I, I think he's great. I mean, he serves a purpose. This, this, I mean, just as a quick summary, like this, this movie does have a whole bunch of. Um, mm. It relies heavily on having a, a big supporting cast list, yeah. um, characters of different degree, different amounts, uh, and different purposes. Yeah. Um, a lot of them serving bigger roles than others, but there's a lot of supporting characters. But you know. At the end of the day, your main people are your Maximus and your, and, and your Commodus and, and stuff and, you know, like the family, the Caesars and the... Yeah. <laughs> call them yeah. the Caesars. Um, but all these supporting characters, they do play the part. So mm. Proxima, obviously, is, is the reason that, you know, all these gladiators are, are there and doing, doing right. their thing. And apparently, Oliver, he, apparently, Oliver Reed hated Russell Crowe. Yes. They didn't. They were not friends. That's right. I mean, I guess, I guess he did rope him into, you know fighting those battles and stuff. He basically made him a slave. So I can understand why Russell Crowe hates him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jason, that's not real life, mate. That's not real life. I, um, what? <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, they say they almost had a, a bit of a fisticuff on, on set, which is interesting because Russell Crowe was in his 30s and uh, Oliver Reed was a little bit older. Oliver Reed actually died of a heart attack as well. I think he's in his 60s. Oh, very unfortunate. But, but that punch-up yeah. on set would have been funny if that actually happened. Um, <laughs> 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 um, so... Bit of bit of cheeky information on the side here as well is um, Oliver Reed's main motivation for taking the role apparently was because he wanted a free trip to London <laughs> to see a couple of shows <laughs> sure. over there. I'm, I'm like, why not? I'm like, that's it. My hat to you, sir. Well done. So, but um, <laughs> I think I think I mentioned it before that he actually receives um, a dedication in the film's credits as well um, oh, because excellent. yeah, because and it was he was awarded. I think it was a Golden Globe as a. Um, uh, best supporting actor uh, posthumous, posthumously, is it, that's the term? Uh, he wasn't, I don't yet. think he was successfully, I don't think he was successful with it. So no, no. either way, I think he had um, a pretty illustrious career anyway. So, yeah. the, the two main um, gladiators, I suppose, that yeah. we I need to highlight are Juba, played by uh, Dimon Hounzo, and Hagen, played by Rolf Moller. So you'll recognise these two if you obviously if you watch the movie. Uh, mm. Juba's the, I guess the the guy who helps Maximus, you know, with like the maggots, and he's like, "Oh, leave them, you know, they'll they'll mm. they'll heal your wound, you know, you wait and see." And yeah. then Hagen's, you know, the big guy gets he gets done in um, yeah. <laughs> all the actions happening in the you know that third act. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, supporting characters, you know, we need some other gladiators for Maximus to bounce off and that's right and you know and you know, like, they, they all share a few little scenes together and there's a bit they do. They're, quite, they're quite good there's there's two two things I like about both of those um if you're talking about Juba um he's got one of the best lines in the whole movie and it's it's when he like himself and Maximus are having a conversation about their families um mm. and then they say I, I'll go see my families but not not yet like or it's yeah. not the, not the right time to die we, you won't see your family just yet and then at the very end of the movie, you see him again, and he goes, "I oh, will meet you again, my friend," because he buries the the little totem things, yet. and he goes, "But yeah. not yet." And it's a nice little way of rounding off their little interactions. I think it's quite a, quite a lovely scene, especially with 
bloody Zimmer's music going on. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. Um, and Hagen, he's just great because the battle at the start of the movie, that's Germania and that's his people. So that's why he doesn't like Maximus the whole way through mm. is because he knows that General Maximus was responsible for like wiping out all of the Germanic tribes. But when, it, but when it comes to it and they realize that they've got a common enemy and it's like, you know, Maximus is a, is a, is a character who, you know, is standing for the right, the right things. Yeah. Hagen steps up and he's just like, no, I will assist. That's I will right. help you. That's I will right. get this done. And um, yeah, a bit of a sacrifice. A sacrifice there. Look, there's a whole bunch of uh, other senators. Yeah, there might be one that I want to throw in. Just the mix. Last one, maybe. We don't really need to go in any many more. Yeah. But Gen- General Quintus. I just wanted to flag him, and this is how you'll know if it's the extended scene or not. Did you see the mo- the scene with Commodus and that general guy executing two potentially potential traitors? Do you remember seeing that? No, I don't. Okay, know. so that's in the. I mean, extended... it might have happened. And... Oh, okay. right, well, maybe. So that's in the extended no, scene, and and, and <laughs> that I don't know why that wasn't in the original cut because what they did, the General Quintus is the guy who basically betrayed Maximus at the start by saying, you know, you're going to get killed and your family will join you in in the afterlife. But he kind of comes around full circle and then takes his side because he always that guy seems to always have Rome's best interest. But it's during that extended scene where he sees. Commodus just execute two people who are probably innocent and it's like well that's where his character turns so I don't know why they left it out of the final cut because it actually gives him a full arc but anyway other than that yeah, so it's kind of a it makes no sense that they yeah. makes no sense that they took that out but it definitely makes sense that they put it back in for the extended yeah, de- cut because de- obviously it served a purpose um yeah, I have no idea. But I think a lot with a lot of these characters, you know, these senators, these old yeah. white dudes. I mean, there's that guy with the crazy eyebrows. Mm. Um, again, uh, my rule is is that like, look, oh, the commentator if I, guy. Can't rem- <laughs> if I can't remember their names, yeah, I'm not going to spend time talking about them because yeah. you know they're 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 essentially borderline background characters. They're supporting, but they are pretty much as background characters. Yeah, they're Just, all doing things. All it does is like, it adds depth to the world. I mean, it, yeah, so. the movie's yeah. involved, and I guess. Unless we're going to get fully stuck into it all and examine every you know nook and cranny of this of this movie, it's like yeah. Uh, and we're not yeah. going to do that. Instead, I suggest we have a no. break. What do you reckon? Yeah, let's have a break. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Luke, and I'm Jason, and we are the guys from Nut Film Stew. Do you like movie reviews and want to keep up to date with the latest in movie and TV news? Then Nut Film Stew is the podcast for you. Join us every two weeks for some good times, laughs, and firm opinions on the things we love. That's right. There's a new podcast released every two weeks on iTunes and SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as That Film Stew Podcast. That Film Stew Podcast. Listen, comment, follow, share. So uh, let's just keep going straight straight into it. This is my fa- one of my favorite parts about the movie. Let's talk to music. So obviously you like the music. <laughs> I, I did. Well, are you, are you saying, are you, are you possibly alluding to you not liking the music? Is it possible? I like the music. I've got to say, I like the music. There was, I mean, we're, we're talking Hans Zimmer composing as he does. Um, yeah. Always epic. Always, 90% of the time. Always epic. I'm going to say 90%. I'm not going to say all the time, but 90% of the time he's doing a pretty damn good job. It's also yeah. alongside Australian uh, singer and composer, Lisa. Gerard, I'm not familiar with her. I don't know if you know more. Uh, of I know a little bit. So I've seen actually, I've actually seen them live. Like when Z- um, Zimmer came to uh, Perth uh, right. last last year in 2019, I went and watched them live, and and, um, and it was 
pretty damn impressive to to watch that. And he just did a whole suite of all of like his greatest hits, including um, "We Are Free." I think is the, is the title track for all this soundtrack. But um, yeah. and so and Lisa that's sings. The, that's where there's like the vocals, and it's yeah. sort of like that, yeah. that melody that's, and stuff, which is yeah, very right. very and nice. Le- and quite emotional that one. Yeah, and that's Lisa's um, vocals on that track. Um, and it's interesting yeah. because originally it was um, it was I think it's a Swedish. Um, artist, basically Swedish Madonna is what she was named. Um, uh, her name is Ofra Hazer. Oh, no, it wasn't Swedish. It was um, Israeli, sorry. Um, Israeli Madonna. Um, so she was actually lined up instead of the Australian Lisa Gerrard, um, but she died during the production, so they turned her about, which is a bit sad. Is, yeah, you know, if this was a horror movie, this would be one of those, what they call their cursed films. This would be yeah. up there with like, Poltergeist <laughs> and, you know, The Exorcist and stuff. Yeah, that's, that, that's well, right. That's, creepy ass <laughs> but um but i mean i i really like the vocals that lisa brings and the, and the overall score this is actually i forgot to say it at the top just with my experience but this was my first movie when i learned who hans zimmer was so before right. that lion king and things like that i didn't really pay attention to the score yeah oh, this is the even, first time even a long time after finding out who hans zimmer was I didn't, I didn't know he was involved with the lion king it's crazy um, <laughs> yeah it's true. it is true i didn't pay too much attention to that at all because you always think Elton Jonathan. Anyway, yeah, yeah. We, we've done Lion King. We've done, but yeah, no, Hans Zimmer, pretty, pretty epic. Yeah. Um, I gotta say, now this is gonna be a knock at Pirates of the Caribbean. Who uh, Hans Zimmer also scored, uh, yeah, Run, but, yeah, but there, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a motif throughout this score. Yes, there is. Every time it played, I was just like, I mean, it sounds like Pirates of the Caribbean. I have to admit, realized this movie to... was first. Yeah, well, but, I mean, I mean, was, he's, he's obviously, obviously, he obviously got a bit bored when he was working on the first part. Yeah, he obviously liked that riff, yeah. uh, that little motif there. And, and yeah. well, I mean, in Pirates, he he escalates it and it's more oh, definitely. bombastic it's, and it, dramatic. But well, it, it turns it into the character of the actual, you know, the, 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 the score itself. Like, it's it's the fundamental element to the um, Pirate score is that little mm. motif that you're talking about. I actually wrote it down when I was watching the movie because I was like, oh, I wonder if Jason's going to pick up on this one or not. So <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very glad that you did. I'm very, very glad you did. Oh, definitely. Um, dun, 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 dun. It's like, yep. okay, it's probably not. That's the Pirates. That's yeah. Pirates. <laughs> but, but this um, one... It's similar. <laughs> I mean, you're saying you've only seen the movie twice, you know, and you've picked it up on it. So it, it's, oh, I mean, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> I don't even, I barely have any memory of the first viewing. So just going by this current view. Yeah, I'm just sitting there. I'm just like, yeah, man, Pirates. Pirates. Yeah, good on you. I was like, Hans Zimmer did do Pirates, right? And I was like, yeah, he did. It did, did, right. did indeed. In fact, it's one of my Because I was, was going to be time. like, somebody ripped him off, but it was himself. So that's all mm. right. But no, overall, the music, pretty epic. Yeah. Um, epic when it needs to be slow ensemble when it needs to be perfect. I mean, it, yeah. it made me feel stuff. Even, it, even, it, um, it, it definitely, I mean, I, I, a good score, it, it definitely always draws me in and it gets my it gets the emotions going for me. It's one of my favourite things. And this one definitely does it for me. It has all the right hits, all the right um, the moments. Um, interestingly, Hans Zimmer does what he did with things like Lion King previously and a few things later. He He definitely put, like cultural elements into the music as well so you do have that big epic score going on but you, you know those moments when they're walking around um uh was it zucchero where, wherever basically in, in arabia where the the smaller fighting pit is there's like there's those like like arabic strings and stuff 
attached to it at all and stuff. And he does that a little bit with okay. all of his scores. When he's moving to a different locale, he puts a little bit of a in, different inflection on it. Anyway, I just wanted kind to put a bit of authenticity to the, I guess, yeah. the cultural well, sense. Well, it just adds it? to the, oh. the environment. Um, and just to, before we move on, just to uh, got to point out, well, I think we said it at the top as well. So, yeah, it did win. It won a Golden Globe. Um, it was also, um, this is a score, it was also nominated for a BAFTA and Academy Award. So it was nominated, but just didn't get those ones. Um, let's go on to uh, a bit of a boring one, but I, I want to talk about it quickly, if, if it's all right. So a little bit of historical accuracy um, and a new word that I learned while researching this, anachronisms. Have you ever heard of that before? Uh, no. <laughs> no. So that, that's, a, that's a word of basically, it's basically a misrepresentation of his, history um, as right. in things being there that shouldn't be there. They're, they, they're true, but they're not at the right time. They're different sure. periods. So a bit of, a bit of um, fictional, I don't know, liberties. Uh, yeah. A bit of, yeah. Sometimes, but, and I'll, I'll touch Creative on Creative freedom. Bit, but you know how we said at the top how um, there was a massive spike in people interested in, you know, Roman history and things like that at the end of this, right. when this movie was released. So a lot of people were looking at it as a true recollection of, or like a recounting of history, but it is not at all. Like there's a couple of key differences, and some of them are put here, which are really quite interesting. Out of them, out of all of them, Maximus actually doesn't isn't he, he's not real. He didn't exist. He's actually a combination <laughs> of about four or five different historical figures spread across about 200 years. So, just different people, different people throughout Roman history who influenced it overall. But um, there isn't a single person that it can be based on. Commodus is real though, but he actually reigned for 12 years instead of like a couple of months or whatever whatever this movie is. It doesn't really yeah, tell you what you see on screen, yeah. Um, and he actually did fight in the arena. Like He was one of the only Caesars of all time to actually go out and be a gladiator himself. But he used to fight animals, not people. Um, right. And he did not He did get killed, but he got killed um, while laying in the bath. Someone strangled him from behind. So there you go. That's how it? I want to go out. That's, yeah, is yeah, it? No, that's, that's the way to go, man. I'd rather just go out in my sleep, mate. But anyway, um, <laughs> inter- interestingly, um, Lucilla existed and was actually assassinated by her brother because she was part of a, a plot, not assassinated by her brother. She tried to assassinate her brother um, and then he ended up by killing her, um, executing her later. Um, and in real life, um, Commodus, like the death of Commodus didn't actually result in any peace. It actually turned um, all of Rome into chaos because there was... It's what they called the year of five emperors where basically everybody put their hand up and fought each other for it. So that's another thing. And last but not least, Marcus Aurelius actually didn't end the war with those barbarian hordes. He actually, that, that kept on going during all of the, what's meant to have happened. And Commodus actually ended it. So, but I doubt that would have been as fun viewing if we were watching it. Well, so. that's it. You got to, much like any good drama, you've mm. got to spice things up. Yeah. And again, take those creative liberties and just run with it. And I guess that, that's yeah. right. And and, yeah. and this isn't an uncommon thing. You take, you know, you mentioned Braveheart earlier. There's many yeah. inconsistencies with yeah. good stuff. There's characters that wouldn't have existed for, you know, another hundred years, but they feature in that mm. film. Um, it is interesting, though, that um, for, for general public and pop culture, some of us are mostly informed by these these, these kind of movies, and so people's understanding of that's all you know. Yeah, it's all they're going to be. It's all they're going to. Yeah. So, so unless you look into it, like yourself or someone tells you, you wouldn't know otherwise. You'd, yeah. And if if someone says, you know, oh, this you know is based on his history and stuff, you take that as gospel and say, well, okay, yeah. cool, and then that's your knowledge, and that's why we're all dumb. Just like those, <laughs> just like those ghost stories that say based on a true story, right? They're fully believable, right? 
At least the costumes look good. Yeah. In this movie. Do, 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 do you want to talk costumes? Okay, quickly. So this is where the um this is where that term um uh, anachron- anachronisms um f- comes in. Is so they actually won an Academy Award for the costume design, which is great, fan- fantastic. But uh, if you look at it through a historic, like a historian's lens, which no one does, almost all of the pieces, <laughs> like all of the clothing, was not period appropriate. It was like a few oh, hundred years what? either side. It's just, it's just how oh. it is. We won't go into detail, but it is, it's funny. But I did want to point out one of the, the costumes accurate. My <laughs> yeah, wanted to put. I put on the notes here. I just got to point it out. Had you ever? Have you heard of the gas canister? Like mis- movie mistake before? Had you heard of that before? Uh, no, is that in this movie? They're not obviously. Did you, did you not see it? Ah, excellent. That's good. So this isn't costume related, but something. If we're going to have a joke around something that shouldn't be there, that's not um, <laughs> error appropriate. During Might the well. um, yeah. during the chariot battle, when one of the chariots flips and then slams into the wall, you can see a very very clearly a gas canister and regulator on the back of it that would have been used to flip it, like compressed Beautiful. air. So, Love it. Um, and once you see it, you can't unsee it. So it's just before, you know, in that scene where he's he's on his horse and old mate throws the sword and he catches the sword and swings it around and he cuts everybody up. Just before that yeah. happens is, yeah, is when it happens. Anyway. There I you love go. talking movie mistake. There you go. Fantastic. <laughs> so that's some, that's some tidbits. Let's talk. Let's use that and we'll segue straight into visual effects. One of our favourite things to talk about. Visual effects and how they didn't digitally remove that canister. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't. I guess they didn't pick it up until you know until the until it was too late. So now it's just part of um, cinema. Well, let's gold, run through. You know? Let's run through a bit of our, uh, I guess, visual effect notes. So uh, yeah. overall production took eight weeks. It did um, the mill created the V V F X um, and won an Academy Award for their efforts. So I guess have you, have you heard of the mill before? I assume they're a special effects company, but they, no, I have not heard they, of them. They are indeed, but no, I hadn't heard of them either, which is it's quite interesting. But um, they obviously put their stamp on the world after this. So, um, but no, they were, they were great. They, uh, they actually created, um, uh, just in regards to the Proximo, the Oliver Reed issue, they created, yeah. um, I think I said it before, they reused, reused footage and pieced together all these gaps um, with with digital doubles, which is kind of unheard of at the time, but um, it cost three point two million dollars for just two minutes of footage for Oliver Reed, so which is very interesting. Money well spent, I guess. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, one of these things, one of my favourite scenes in the whole movie is the the Germania battle scene, like the opening battle scene. Um, in fact, there's the, that shot where it pans across the whole battlefield. And like the Romans are advancing up the hill, and you got the arrows and catapults flying into the forest. One of the most amazing scenes. They shot all that and most of the other action scenes on um, with different frame rates and a, a forty-five degree shutter. And I don't know technically what that means, but it kind of gives it a bit of a stop motion effect. And they use the same thing in Saving Private Ryan, and that gives you a bit of a grainy kind of feeling as well. Um, and I think that just adds to it. Like if you remember that battle scene where he he cuts some dude's head off with his sword and it embeds in the tree and it kind of just bobs up and down on the tree, but it's, oh, yeah. it shudders. It shudders a bit <laughs> as if it's stop motion. It's like, it's not a clear right. picture. It's really interesting. Um, that just adds to the grit and the grossness of it all. That's all right. The, um, the mm. battle, yeah, well, it just adds to the realism, doesn't it? Um, now that battle sequence, which I said was my favourite, took 20 days to f- shoot and the forest was... Sh- um, scenes were shot in a place called Bourne Woods in, in England, in Surrey in England. But it's interesting because they originally weren't going to use as much fire as they did, 
but they found out production team somehow found out that the um, the forestry service were going to completely wipe out the whole area and knock down all the trees and so they somehow got approval to burn some of them before that and did all the arranged all of the production before that took place and then they changed the name to burnwood sorry (laughs) (laughs) that's fantastic and little little tidbit um two thousand arrows were used in that scene as well which is great (laughs) twenty thousand twenty thousand not two thousand twenty thousand and i mean another visual effects note as well that i found during our research was um for the large crowds in the Colosseum, they used 2,000 live actors, um, and cr- which created computer-generated crowd of 35,000 virtual actors. And I haven't put it here, but I put it in my notes when I was um, watching it. I was like, I actually thought the crowds in this movie looked more realistic than the crowds at Bohemian Rhapsody. That's my thought, but that's just me. Wow. Well, I have mean, you seen, overall, have you seen I... Bohemian Rhapsody? I have very epic, very very epic. But I thought, I thought these epic. these look more realistic. Yeah, um, I was gonna say like overall with uh, set designs, uh, special effects, you know, rebuilding the Colosseum, creating all of that mm-hmm. Rome castles, palaces, whatever you call them, all look pretty damn good. I, I think this is two thousand. Like this is this is when uh, you know this is during that period of time where everyone was like, hey, CGI is a hell good idea. Let's yeah. use it. Yeah. And but they just don't know how to use it right. But this mm. movie, somehow, they got it right. They yeah. didn't push it too far. There was, there's one shot of the, bear with me, there's one shot of the Colosseum, and I actually mm. went, oh, that looks horrid. And then it turns out it was actually just a model, and it pans out. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. For a split second, I was just like, what the yeah. hell is that? But it's <laughs> you, you literally just a model sitting on a table. Yeah. But they did, build, they did build a 52-foot replica of the Colosseum, and that's just the first floor. So you know how the Colosseum goes up in tiers? Yeah. I'm assuming you know that. Um, the top two I tiers, are, <laughs> <laughs> the top two tiers are actually all man. CG. So it was only any of those shots where you see, you know, they might be at the ground level at the fighting pit looking up. The first row of crowd is real, but everybody above yeah. that's not real. That's all. That's all digital and made up, which is pretty damn impressive. So it looks um, pretty damn good. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, look, I think. That's a fair. That's a fair chunk of info that we've covered. I reckon we've covered it all. Do you reckon now's the time to do a bit of a quiz break? Quiz. I'm ready to go. You're um, ready to rock and roll. Questions. I've got my questions for you. As everybody knows, we do sixty. No, we do ten questions <laughs> in sixty seconds. We should try flipping that one day and see how many. We're going to do sixty <laughs> questions in ten seconds. That's not going to happen. Um, so know. I'm going to get my little stopwatch ready to rock and roll. Um, but if you've got your questions. I'm ready to go. You ready to go? All right. All good, man. Uh, Three, two, one. Go. What nationality were the barbarians Maximus fights at the start of the movie? Germany. Germanic. Correct. Uh, What did soldiers uh, say as a sign of respect to each other? No idea. What does Maximus tell Quintus to unleash on the barbarians? Hell. Hell. Correct. What does Proxima refer to himself as? Um, a gladiator? A free man? A gladiator. Incorrect. No. What was Maximus's identity as a gladiator? Um, the Spaniard. Correct. What is the name of Maximus's servant? Cicero. Correct. What animals feature in the Colosseum? Uh, see, tigers. Correct. Uh, did Caesar vote for Tigris to live or die? Uh, to die. Correct. How does Hagen die? Hagen gets speared and arrowed <laughs> with everything. 
And which four letters did Maximus have? And that's it. That's it. What was the last question? What do you got there? Which four letters did Maximus have tattooed on his arm? Um, it's the it's the Roman thing. It's like SPQR, I think it is. So damn, is. that is spot on. Is it correct? Yeah. I so, believe that is eight correct answers. I will just go through and confirm that there was only two incorrect that you said. <laughs> uh, what did soldiers say as a sign of respect to each other? Mm-hmm. Strength and honor. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Strength Yep. Strength and honor. Um, you, uh, what does Proxima refer to himself as? An entertainer. Ah, of course. Yeah, um, and yes, you got everything else right. Mate, that was 8 out of 10. Yeah, nice one. Thank well you very done. much. All right. Well done. <laughs> well, moving on from there, the, that, that exciting quiz. Um, I'm very happy with my result. Let's, let's jump straight into our, uh, our ratings. Our... Would you like to go first? Yes, I'd love to. Um, so <laughs> keep, keep, keep it brief. You, you've already noticed I have an interest in this movie. So I'm entertained by this movie, but I'm also interested in the content as well. Um, so it's, it's always going to rate highly. I actually, if you're thinking about it, there's not too much you can fault with this, even after 20 years. Like I'm thinking I can't really pick anything because like you said, it's an ensemble movie. Everybody carries a little bit of weight and they just kind of pull it off. The only thing I'd probably really point out that I really don't really get into is that's the political element to it. There's like there's a little bit of intrigue and political stuff, and I just think that's yeah. Kind of it felt wasted. like I was watching Star Wars Episode One, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the Senate talk, man. Basically, and I, I could see <laughs> how it fits, and but overall, I was like, oh, that's the parts I don't really care for. Like, and so I'm like, man, eh, not really. But I got to go. Like, it's got to be for like. Four and a half, man. This is almost a perfect movie for, for me. It's almost a perfect movie. Mm. So the score, the, the effects, just the overall epicness of it, and Russell Crowe in his prime, bloody ripper, ripper. Four and a half Fantastic. out of five. Fantastic. I've, I'm gonna straight up. I'm gonna disagree with the political stuff because I I feel like that's the that's the fundamentals of this movie. That's why mm. all of this is going on in the first place and. You know, if you just had, if you just had it like, oh, this one guy just wants these guys to, you know, pretty much fight and die in, you know, in this arena, mm. it would, it would just become really shallow. So I think you do need all of that. And cool. although that I can, can kind of that. make the movie a little bit boring, it's the, it is the core fundamentals of yeah. everything is going on. But you know, there's, a, there's a whole, there's a soap opera going on. There's um, there's characters, there's betrayals, there's there's depth to our main characters anyway. There's there's different mm. sides to them, and different depths, and amazing performances from Whacking Phoenix, Ross yeah. Crow, and pretty much the supporting uh, characters. There's nothing really bad to say about any of them. Uh, yeah. I just wish you know there was a bit more focus on a few of the characters just to flesh them out. Mm. Um, but overall, you know, it's a pretty straightforward story. You know, it got to the point where you know. Maximus is revealed and he's in the arena and, yeah. you know, um, Commodus is like, oh, I know who you are. And I kind of just sat there and was like, what happens for the rest of the movie? There was like an hour left. And I was like, what happens next? Yeah. He's like, they're there. Does he kill him? Does he? And it's like, oh, it's all about him just getting revenge. Mm. It's pretty straightforward. Like the yeah. trailer out sets out, you know, it's, he's a, he was a general, then mm. a slave, then a gladiator, and then a hero. That's it. Takes the steps. That's how the movie plods along. So pretty straightforward. It's not too complicated. It just, it's like the movie paints itself as something a little bit more 
in-depth and complicated, but it's really not. It's pretty, yeah. on the surface level, pretty straightforward, easy to follow. And on one hand, I kind of like it because sometimes you don't want to get too enthralled in it. I'm giving it a four out of five. So cool. pretty good movie. Pretty nice. good film. Yeah. Um, four out of five. Nice one, man. Would you watch Wrong a result. Would you watch another one if they came up with if they released a sequel now? Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'd review. I mean, I get it would it would depend on what it's about, what the premise is, and what <laughs> if they if they go crazy with it and say, you know, Russell Crowe is back, yeah. or he appears as a ghost or something, or no. you know, he's in a kid's mind. Then I'm like, I don't know. It depends on how they do it. I'd rather see a, I'd rather see like a different movie, story with some one of the other characters. That's what I'd rather see, to be honest. It just seems like this movie established, you know, the law of its movie as being mm. grounded. There was nothing supernatural about it. There was nothing... I mean, there, there's spiritual elements to it, but not to the extent of anything mystical. It was more like inner... Yeah. Uh, yeah inner turmoil and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, that was... I mean, I, I agree, dude. I agree. Um, so that was our rewind uh, to the year 2000. The year 2000. Gladiator. We hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of Rewind and Review. As always, we'll remind you that any feedback, either positive or negative, or any rewind requests can be sent to us via email at thatfilmstreetpodcast at gmail.com. Yep. Um, or you can reach um, out to us on either That Film's True or Rewind Reviews Facebook pages. Like and follow these pages while you're there. Subscribe and leave us a review on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts as it does help others like yourself find the podcast. You can find our entire catalogue of episodes at thatfilmstrewpodcast.com. All right. So coming soon from That Film Stew, I do believe we have a review of Onward. Disney cool. Pixar, it's coming to Disney Plus, so we can see it, even though I already watched it at the movies before it was pulled um <laughs> yeah uh, sounds like comics have a recent episode looking at i want to say evolution which i was on so i don't know why i'm thinking <laughs> hard about um and our next episode here on rewind and review here we go we are up to episode 50 of rewind and review so we're doing something oh. pretty epic yep we're not doing one movie we're not doing two movies. we're doing three movies we're yeah. doing a trilogy Yep, and we're doing uh, Back to the Future. Yes, we are. Jeez, it's going to be good. The ultimate good. movie. Yeah, movie with time travel. And all <laughs> that. Jeez, you sound so excited about it. I'm very, look- it. very much looking forward to that. Uh, thank you very much for listening. This has been another episode of Rewind and Review, and we will see you on our next trip. rewind this cassette before returning it to your video library inspiring what the fuck did i write there oh god i don't even know what i've written here dude <laughs> <laughs> i want to just keep uh coming up with different pronunciations of walking phoenix joe quinn joe we could keep doing Jack-a-win. <laughs> <laughs> all right oh,